Trojan fans, it's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast, a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast with Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at gmartlive. He's our national recruiting analyst for uscfootball.com. We're actually going to do a free one, so this will be for everybody recruiting podcast. Uh, we'll talk about some of the questions we have about recruiting. Of course, the season started, maybe some visit stuff. Uh, our whole crew has been out to high school games, so we'll talk about that. Some of the players that we've seen, the prospects, the commits, recruits, people are committed other places, all kinds of stuff. So we're going to talk about all of that today on the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast with Gerard Martinez. Uh, like I said, you can follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. If you have any questions for us, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com call or text you can do that too 424-254-9141 try to keep your questions brief if you want to send us a text that's great if you want to leave us a voicemail try to keep it under a minute so we can play it on the podcast and then answer your question we're on all the different podcast platforms the biggest one is itunes itunes.com slash peristyle podcast if you want to go right to our show but we're also on google play and stitcher radio and audio boom Tune in radio and a whole bunch of other ones. So if you have one, if you're using a podcast app and you don't find us, let me know and I'll make sure, uh, we get added with there, but we should be just about everybody, uh, just about everywhere at this point. Um, uh, so Gerard, welcome to the show. Let's talk a little recruiting. How you doing, man? I'm doing better than I was last week. I'm not, uh, deathly ill and, uh, it was a long week and it was even a longer weekend. It was, uh, five games in two days and uh, a lot of high school football and missing a lot of college football. I actually missed the USC game entirely. I had to kind of sort of try to follow it on Twitter, um, but when you're shooting games, you can't really follow anything other than uh, the action that's in front of you. So uh, it was one of those weekends where I was kind of removed from college football and I was immersed in high school football. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's kind of uh, this time of year is, is busy for us, and then we end up going to like, High school games on Friday night. You went to a bunch on Saturday too. Uh, then you're going to college games and it can be, I know Shotgun and Keeley were both, uh, pretty out of it. I guess you could say after a couple of days, cause when they, they were both on the field in the Coliseum where it was, you know, blazing hot after going to a game Friday night. So it was, uh, it can be, these can be kind of long weekends. It was 113 degrees in Mission Viejo according <laughs> to my weather underground map. Uh, I don't know how that's even possible. I mean, I'm coming from the IE and it's 114 and I'm figuring, you know, it'll be 100 degrees. You know, it's Mission Viejo and it is a little inland, but still, I mean, you're much closer to the coast and I get there and I get out of my car and it says 109 degrees and I'm like, that can't be right. So I went to the Weather Underground app and it actually said it was 113 degrees. <laughs> so, it was really hot there. At least they hosed down the field, you know, for that game. And there was two games that they played there. There was Servite versus American Fork. And then they had Mission Viejo play Vista Marietta in the night camp, which didn't get started until about 830. 
but then the next day went down to San Diego, which was a, a beautiful drive because everybody and their brother decided for Labor Day they were going to drive Saturday morning instead of Friday night to San Diego. So that turned out to be, you know, a two-hour-plus drive when I thought it was only going to be about an hour and a half. And there was three games being played there. And it actually managed to be, I think, hotter. Even though it wasn't 113, it was higher humidity. And unfortunately, that high school, Cathedral Catholic High School down in San Diego, the away bleachers are metal bleachers. And then the home bleachers are just concrete. (laughs) So I got sort of reflective sunburn from shooting in the away bleachers. And uh, and that was a very long day. That was you know I was there from 11:30 till I left uh, in the first quarter of the uh, IMG Centennial game because I was just done. I was like, all right, there's not enough SC targets here with either of these teams to to film it. And uh, it was late, and I wasn't going to get home until probably after 12:30 if I was sticking around. So I said, you know what, I think I'm done for the weekend. So that was, uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a hot weekend, and it was uh, it was Labor Day. It was a lot of labor this weekend. Yeah, it was. It was you know, I I talked about this before. I pull into the parking lot in my office on Labor Day, and like, why aren't there any? Uh, there's no cars. I'm like, oh crap, it's Labor Day. But yeah, I'm going to be working all day, so it's not really. Uh, <laughs> it's not Labor Day for us, you know. It's just one of those things. But it's football. It season. is Labor Day for us, though. In a way, I mean, it is sort of like you. Sh- I mean, hey, it's Labor Day, so it's time to work. You know, I mean, there's just certain holidays, and you know that uh, we're never going to probably be off on uh, on New Year's. Like that's the day that you just always work. You know, I'm usually in San Antonio. If you're not in San Antonio with me, then you're at the Rose Bowl and you're covering a game or you're covering a practice. I mean, that's just, you know, that's that's going to happen on uh, on New Year's Day. And then there's other days like that, you know. I mean, it seems like I think Easter usually we're off. Thanksgiving-ish we're usually off. It's sort of like you get a couple of days there because there are high school football games going on that weekend and there's going to be college football games that weekend. Um, and you just hope and you just pray that someone doesn't decide that they want to commit on Christmas because that's usually the ultimate. That's the worst, and that's happened a couple times. But, um, yeah, so holidays, you know, 4th of July, you know, we actually got 4th of July sort of off this year because we came back from the opening. So we were, we were done, which was, which was different because the opening started a little early this year. But, yeah, that's our complaints. Everybody wants to be a recruiting writer. Everybody says, oh, you've got the greatest job in the world. They don't understand. I'm, I'm there from 1130 till 830 at night in the blistering sun and I'm filming and I'm shooting and I'm taking notes and I'm doing Twitter and I'm doing interviews. And then I get to go home and I get to do all that stuff and I get to put it up. So that means I got to edit the photos, got to edit the video, got to edit and put up the interviews. And you know, that's the, that's hours of work too. So people see us out there on the field, you know, running around doing that and they think, Oh, that's great. You get to go to high school football games and and talk to recruits and that's your job. But that's not really the job. The job is getting the story up. The job is writing the story (laughs) and getting the content up. That's, that's what we get paid for. That's what the fans get to see. So yeah, that people usually don't, they don't get to see me sitting in my, you know, the next day, uh, on like, like you said, on labor day and you're just sitting here working, you know, you're, you're, you're on the phone, you're, you're doing, uh, you're doing whatever interviews that you had. Yeah, a little bit of how the sausage is made inside of USCFootball.com. Um, and how we make the sausage, that's interesting, right? Like how, what, how the people love it though. They love, oh, you have the greatest job in the world. And then like, oh, it's, why are you working on Sunday night and, you know, and all this stuff? It's like, well, that's, that's just part of the job. It's like what we have to do. So football season, you're just working all the time. There's no, there's no days off now. You know, it's just all the time. I don't, okay. 
the analogy of making the sausage makes me a little uncomfortable, but uh, if that's what you want to go with, that's what you want to go with. <laughs> it's inside baseball. <laughs> Behind the scenes. It's inside baseball. The, like. <laughs> it's a, Behind the scenes of, of how it all works. But, yeah, that's the complaint. That, that's me, uh, you know, after a long weekend, like, okay, yeah, we, uh, you know, we, we get out there, we get to do this. And, and a lot, I think a lot of folks just think we, we scout players. Like, we just watch games and just make opinions on what no. the game was and who the players are and who the better players are from, you know, the, the guys that are, that are not ranked, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not it. I mean, we just sit there and I stood there, you know, through two games Saturday and just ISOed on, uh, specific players. I mean, it was, it was interesting because we had the Helix Paraclete matchup, which was a brilliant matchup. You don't get to see, four-star receiver go against a four-star cornerback one-on-one like that very often. You know, we, we search for those type of matchups. So when you're able to get two top players in frame at once, it's magic. Yeah. And so we got to see that that magic, that magic that matchup uh, specifically. And like I said, I mean, it was 98 degrees, and it was like 50%, 60% humidity. It was just hot. And, and, but it was, it was good. I mean, it was like it's a great matchup. You know, it's like this is what we want. This is what we want to get. And we can talk about that matchup. A little later, um, the the thing is, I go down and I get our interviews and and get you know photos and everything afterwards. And then the second game of that day was Punahou versus Sarah, which you know again you've got some good players on the field and some USC targets, obviously with Sarah and uh, a guy that uh, has a, um, a a scholarship offer from USC from the 2019 class, a linebacker uh, Manoa Tafuno, who is. Uh, Wearing that number five, you know that that kind of sort of famous uh, Manti Teo number five got a USC offer, so a lot of people are looking at him, and so we can film him. So I'm there getting pregame B-roll, and I like to get video of the guys stretching and get you know just some some pregame stuff like that, get some photos, and uh, I'm getting that, and I turn around, and I look, and the whole Hawaiian Islands is like in the stands. So I went from there was nobody in the stands for the Paraclete Helix game. Because it was crazy hot, and then you know those neither of those teams really traveled very well. Uh, everybody that was a Punahou fan made it to San Diego. I mean, it was shoulder to shoulder. It was stacked. I had to like crawl up to my stuff to get back up to the stands because I like to shoot from <laughs> up top just so I get better ISO film. And there's easy ups. There's people with umbrellas, and I'm like fighting through trying to be able to film. I said, screw it. Second half, I just grabbed my crap and I just went down and said, I'm going to do it. I got to do this field wise. Like, I'm not, I'm sweating buckets because everybody's on top of each other. It's like everybody's stacked in there. It went from being nobody in these stands to like, it's like, like I said, shoulder to shoulder. So, yeah, that, that was like a whole thing, too. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different deal. People don't kind of really know, um, the job and kind of what it entails. And like I said, then we have to go home. We have to edit all that film and we have to edit all those photos and then we have to write. The, the, the story and transcribe the interviews that we have, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I still got a few interviews and I haven't even touched the film um, from this past weekend. Uh, we have to put it up on YouTube now. And so I got to even go through that whole process because usually we put the, the film up through uh, an app called Box, Box Spring. And so, you know, we had to learn Box Spring and go through all that. Well, now it's actually going through YouTube, which then will get transferred over to Scout. Um, so we're in this weird transition process where even, you know, the admin and putting up stories and everything is sort of a hassle, a lot of errors, a lot of glitches. So that just makes our, our job harder. But, um, yeah, that as far as behind the scenes stuff, that's sort of how <laughs> the weekend is. It's like you go out there and you're working the whole weekend and you go home and you keep working. You just, you're inside and you're just at home in front of your computer working. It's, but it's the same thing. It's certainly not, uh, 
you know, oh, I'll get to go home and hang out now. I'm done my job. You know, it's not, it's not that way. It's not like yeah. you go into the office and you work and you work and then you go home and you're done with it. It just follows you. Yeah. <laughs> Your work just follows you. Yeah. We're not out there digging ditches and stuff, but just the people that think that's like, oh, you're fun. You get to go watch a game and then go home. It's like, nope, that's not really how it goes. Um, okay. So we got, I think it'll be an interesting show today. It's going to be more conversational. We're going to talk about some of the, the high school players that we've seen that we've just gone out to over the past couple of weeks. Um, we all have a couple of recruiting questions. We just did a recruiting podcast last week. So if you have more recruiting questions, we're going to try to do one every week now. So send them in. Uh, before we jump into all that, I wanted to thank our sponsor. SeatGeek. So if you want to buy tickets to a concert, a sporting event, it can be very complicated, but there's a better, simpler way to buy if you use SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. They have a seamless mobile experience. You can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. So SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices, and it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. Of course, if you want to see the USC Trojans, I think Gerard might want to go see Taylor Swift, something like that. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So the cool thing is there's a SeatGeek app on your phone. It's really the easy way to, to buy and shop for tickets. So anywhere you are. So I'm looking at it right now. Actually, Hamilton's a really popular thing right now, Gerard. So that's one of the things that pops up in LA. If you're a Los Angeles person, you want to go to see Hamilton, which I have not seen. That would be interesting. But curious, like the Texas Longhorn game, seats start at 110 bucks. For USC Stanford, only 36 bucks. So if you're picking one of those two games to go to, it's a lot cheaper to go to Stanford and you can see that right on the app. So it's pretty cool. It'll save you time and money. Uh, you'll get the most bang for your buck and they grade every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus every purchase fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, of course, including USC football. So. All the best part is all of the listeners for the Peristyle podcast will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. George, did you know that? Like I was trying to get some friends tickets to Texas and they were like really expensive. Um, and then I was looking for Stanford and it was totally cheap, which I don't get. Stanford's a way better team, but I guess. Texas is the more popular one right now. Stanford doesn't travel, and I would say and predict that the prices of those Texas tickets are probably going to go down a little bit. So, <laughs> so maybe <laughs> after wait. their game against Maryland, and we'll see how USC plays against Stanford. If USC loses against Stanford, then the luster of that game has probably been taken off a little bit. Yeah, hopefully it's a go. My mom's actually coming into town for the uh, this weekend, so she's going to go out to the Stanford game. And, uh, hey, if you guys, I gotta give a little shout out to my wife too. So, uh, my wife's gonna be at the bookstore. So she creates these products. They're like wooden, um, coasters and different kind of USC keepsakes that are really freaking cool. They put, uh, actual photography from like games and the Coliseum and stuff on these keepsakes. So she's gonna be, so my wife, so at Sports Pundit, if you want to find out where she is, but she'll be at the bookstore, uh, all day on Saturday. So if you're going out to the Stanford game, go check her out. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's got some, some cool stuff that'll be there. So it should be cool. I'm excited. She's, she's excited. This is like her first like game selling experience. So I think she's going to be, she'll be there before me, man. She's going to be there like at seven in the morning, Gerard. So that, that's before I'm going to get to the press box. Yeah. We don't get to those games until, unless it's like a noon game. Then we usually, we used to tailgate and get there like oh. crazy, like six 30 in the morning over at the Coliseum, which was always nice and then not so nice <laughs> to say yeah. you beat traffic which is nice and you're there early which is nice and parking is nice 
But then, yeah, you're there at 6.30 in the morning. It's funny. like So we touched a lot of people when we did those tailgates. I feel bad. We're talking about all this other stuff besides recruiting. We'll get into hey, I didn't touch anybody. Anybody says that. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> you touched We touched people. lives. That on you. Not people. We were not talking about like. So and one of the funniest things was um, you guys, you know, the people over at Rain of Troy, Alicia and Michael. Um, they're always really nice to us. I actually had them on the podcast as guests and they do a great job on their Reign of Troy, uh, podcast. But the, um, Michael was talking about it. I left them like a, a good review on iTunes because I never like check our iTunes reviews. Um, uh, so do, if you're, if you're listening, please, and you're on iTunes, please go leave us a five star review. We do, you know, we do appreciate that, but I never kind of look at them. We've, you know, we've been around a long time. We got a lot of good reviews and just kind of like, okay, whatever. Um, but they do a nice job. They kind of read them. And so I said, I'll leave them one. So it'll be nice. And they were really appreciative of it and stuff and thanked me. And Michael was talking on their show, like for a guy that when I was a kid used to go to Ryan's tailgates with his dad. So like, so that's funny. Like that's how we like have impacted lives. Like, so Michael as a kid, he would come to our RV with all the TVs and stuff with his dad who would bring him to our <laughs> tailgates. And now he like covers USC and talks about it, and it's like so. He was kind of looking up to us and stuff. So anyway, I thought it was kind of cool, like stuff like that. Impacted lives. Well, okay. So <laughs> yeah, we've gone from having a telephone to now we're impacting lives. Actually, we started by playing the tiniest violins, complaining about how hot it was this weekend and how much we worked. This podcast sucks so far. Let's get to some talking about some football. We people right now are giving us a two star rating. <laughs> no, two star rating. Okay, well, let's talk some recruiting. So, let's see. Do we want to go? We'll go back. Um, you went to games on Friday, correct? So maybe we'll talk about your Friday games. I'll talk about my Friday games, and then your your huge uh, Saturday. We can get into that, and then we'll get into a couple of questions and stuff too. Yeah, the Friday game, which was the big game, uh, was American Fork uh, coming out here from Utah playing against Servite High School, and really, you know, the focal point of that was to watch Julius Irvin, uh, 6'2", 180, 185 pound safety slash cornerback from Servite, uh, who is, you know, looking at USC. USC's recruiting him as a cornerback. And I have to say, as a, as I've watched a lot of safeties and a lot of kids, you know, play high school football. And you'd like to see defensive backs, even if they are cornerbacks by trade, you know, they're going to play cornerback in college. You like them to play safety because they can be a little more active. You, you, you're going to see more from them. If you're playing cornerback in high school, the opposing offense can sort of basically take you out of the game by just not throwing to that side of the field. So it, it becomes very boring. I mean, watching him on Marshall uh, sometimes in, in high school and ISOing on him, it just there was nobody in that league and very few schools on the schedule that were going to throw to his side of the field. So you would literally just have an hour of him just backpedaling and really not doing a whole lot. Um, so when you get those players that can actually play safety, and even though if they're going to you know, end up projecting being a, a college uh, a cornerback, you get to see them in space, you get to see them um, come up to the line of scrimmage, tackle, and sometimes they, you know, they, they, they sort of float a little bit, and you don't see a lot from them. And even though they're playing the safety position, you think they would be more involved they kind of just do a lot of nothing. They're sort of just in the middle of the field and play in the middle of the field. But Julius Irvin, I was very impressed at how active he was. He was involved in so many plays. He was physical. He came up to the line of scrimmage. Um, he played over the slot a lot when American Fork went to four wide receivers. Uh, he would place a man over the middle. Uh, he had great instincts. He had great eyes. Uh, I was just really impressed with him. I, I, I we watched him 
at the USC Elite Camp where he played cornerback, and he played very well. But there was a lot of really good players at that camp, so it wasn't one of those things where we could just ISO on him. And so watching him against this team, I just really liked how smart he was, how he was making calls. He seemed very, very involved. And, I, you know, with USC at this point, with their cornerback recruiting locally, it really right now is sort of shaping up that Isaac Taylor Stewart and Julius Irvin are probably the two top cornerbacks thereafter locally. Um, now, they have some options out of state, and that always is going to be dependent on how well they do during the season and how much momentum you can sort of build. Uh, but I think locally it's really going to be a battle for those two guys, and it's going to be a battle. Um, and with Julius Irvin, he's going to actually take an official visit to Notre Dame this weekend. He's already got an official visit set up for Washington. Uh, he didn't say either way uh, whether USC was going to get an official visit, but it seems like he's leaning towards that, and that, that will happen. He's not going to be one of those local recruits that's going to say, oh, I'm not going to visit uh, USC because it's too close. Um, but USC is going to have to get him on campus more. They're going to have to stay involved with him. Um, you know, Notre Dame getting that early visit. Uh, and like I said, Washington will probably get a visit at some point uh, during the season. USC is going to want to push that visit back probably until – um, you know, the end of, of, of uh, maybe November, I think at the earliest, and then December, maybe even January. So I uh, was very impressed with him. I thought he played really well. Uh, was was also pretty impressed with Trent McDuffie. Uh, he's a 5'10", 180-pound, 175-pound cornerback, uh, three-star junior from Servite, whose only scholarship offer is from USC, which is interesting. Ronnie Bradford went down to school, uh, saw him actually long jump, so he wasn't, he didn't really do a lot during the spring playing football. He was actually just a long jumper and he's in, and he's in, uh, track. Uh, and so he's uh, a guy that's like a 10-9 sprinter, pretty good wheels, um, and played cornerback really, really well. Uh, he also did some things offensively, but he kind of came in the, the game sort of sporadically on offense. He played some slot receiver, uh, he ran the ball out of the offensive backfield, um, did some things here and there, but really as a cornerback for a smaller guy, Played pretty well. Uh, it's interesting that that's his first offer. We're going to have to kind of continue to see how he develops as a football player. Uh, but a guy to keep an eye on, and like I said, he, he played pretty well. Uh, I could see, you know, maybe there being some comparisons to a Dory Jackson just because he's a long jumper and he's a smaller type of cornerback. I didn't see that sort of athleticism, and really I didn't see the, the instincts, the, the, the agility and sort of things you saw from Adore Jackson um, at that point in his career, and obviously Adore Jackson had a much greater impact um, for Sarah football, you know, as a junior going into his senior year uh, than Trent McDuffie has thus far. Uh, but I, I think, you know, there's time will tell if McDuffie is able to develop a little more and um, become a, a greater impact for Servite. Uh, but uh, that was sort of the focus uh, for that Friday. Then they had the follow-up game, which was Mission Viejo, versus Vista Marietta. Vista Marietta just actually came back from Georgia where they got beat. I think it was 27 to 6, 27 to 9, uh, against, uh, Coquilla County. And they came in against Mission Viejo feeling like, hey, you know what? We went on a big road trip. We played a really good team from Georgia. Uh, we we're kind of battle tested and they just got slapped around so bad by Mission Viejo. Uh, Mission Viejo basically said, no, you went to Georgia and you got beat because you're not a very good team. And, uh, you know, Mission Viejo looks very good. They look like a very good team, a very well-rounded team. They got some really good size on the offensive line. I really like their offensive line. Uh, that was a game that I kind of hung out for for a little bit, didn't really film, because the one big prospect at Mission Viejo right now is Elijah Griffin. And Elijah Griffin is committed to UCLA, and he's not talking about USC right now. 
I feel and have talked about this on the Peristyle. Maybe this is a little bit of a premium statement, but um, I think USC, when it push comes to shove, will still be around and in the conversation for Elijah Griffin. Elijah Griffin played really well. He's really good on offense. He plays receiver, which is kind of going back to what I was saying about high school cornerbacks and high school prospects just playing cornerback. That's a red flag for me just because if you're athletic and you're a superior athlete at that level, you should be playing multiple positions on your high school team. You should be at the very least involved in special teams and you should probably be playing offense. So I like seeing um, guys just involved more in the game. And Elijah Griffin is a guy that very much involved on offense, had a, had a really nice uh, touchdown reception, um, was very good on defense, uh, just kind of a, uh, still a very good player. I, I think I think USC uh, has to continue to look at him. Um, you know, Isaac Taylor Stewart's going to be tough. That's going to be a long recruitment, I feel. And I think Julius Irving could be as well. That could be a, a, a battle with uh, Washington and, and maybe even Notre Dame. Uh, so, you know, I think Elijah Griffin is definitely a guy that's continuing to be in the conversation with USC and certainly for USC fans that are following recruiting. Okay, so that was uh, Friday night, correct? That was what you yes. saw Friday. Okay, so I went to, which was kind of like the big, uh, whatever, big game of the weekend, uh, modern day versus Bishop Gorman. Um, so... This is where every recruiting writer I've ever met before, I think, was there. So it was just, it was on TV. And, and like Gerard likes to say, those aren't always like the best games for us to go see because everyone can kind of see them anyway. We go to games where there's like prospects that you want to check out that a lot of people don't get to see. This was the most high profile game, uh, that we've had here in Southern California, right? I mean, it's probably in a while. Yeah, probably since De La Salle played modern day for the first time that was probably even higher profile just because that was the first time de la salle had really gotten outside their bay area bubble and they had the big winning streak um but this was this was you know a big game this was obviously a big hype game and there was a lot of people that that wanted to be at it and wanted to see it yeah so um couple you know uh usc recruits that were or, pro, or commits that were in the game uh if you want to look on the modern day side first uh, JT Daniels, um, you know, the quarterback who's a junior, uh, I thought he really, um, played well, was dropping some dimes, throwing the ball all over the field. Now he had, I think he had better protection than his counterpart on the other side for Bishop Gorman. And Bishop Gorman had won 55 straight games in a row. So the fact that modern day was able to beat them, they hadn't lost, you know, they were 15 and 0, I believe the last three years. So, um, and this team beat, I forget the team they played from like Maryland that was like really good. They beat them the week. I mean, they, they go out of conference. DeMatha. DeMatha. Yeah. I mean, they just beat them the week before. Um, so you're talking about a really, uh, you know, this has been a powerhouse that they, they go across the country and play all these different teams. And this year, this was really the only for Bishop Gorman. They have De La Salle at home and then one other team from like Texas or Florida or something at home. So this was their only like, uh, out of the, you know, out of state trip that they were going to take this year. Um, they had a lot of people come down. This was at the, uh, Santa Ana Bowl. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, the whole modern day side, Gerard's been there before. It's like assigned seating. It's like more of a college kind of thing than anything else. Uh, the field is kind of crazy. They don't let you go run around. I ended up going up to the Bishop Gorman side and shooting the game from up top. Cause like Gerard said, that can be a little bit easier. Um, but the 
So JT Daniel was great. I didn't shoot him. I ended up shooting off, you know, both linebackers that I was kind of focusing on. And we'll have footage up on uscfootball.com pretty soon. I've, I've kind of gone through a lot of that footage already. Uh, but JT Daniels, he's the, the, the kind of the main draw. He was really impressive. Um, he didn't have a five-star receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown. So, um, he came out, did a couple of things, but just he's not, he hurt his hand. Uh, at the, I think it was the opening, right, Gerard? I think we heard his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he only participated in that first, uh, day of the camp and then, uh, wasn't able to go during the seven on seven tournament. So that's interesting that it's, it's still hurting him. I, I kind of thought they just held him out of the Bishop Mamont game, which was Modern Day's first game, just precautionary. And, you know, they were going to be able to beat Bishop Mamont with or without him. But I was surprised to hear that he was out. Uh, during the Bishop Gorman game, because you know, obviously, that's that's the big game on the schedule for Modern Day. Yeah, th- you kind of felt that that would be a game he'd come back for, and the fact that he didn't was a little like, oh, that's uh, you know, that's unfortunate, but um, whatever, you know. So, and so the fact that he was able to have as much success as he did uh, without his best receiver out there, and when we've saw them before, like they just had such good chemistry, it wasn't like this five-star receiver that wasn't doing much when we would see those two play, like they were just clicking together. Um, so the, the fact that modern day was able to win without their, you know, arguably your best, best player. I thought that was a pretty good sign. Um, Brew McCoy is a guy, uh, maybe Gerard, you want to talk about him a little bit, but he was really impressive to me. Like he was making huge catches, uh, as a receiver, but he would line up at like an outside linebacker, almost defensive end kind of thing. And, and have some disruption too. I couldn't watch him a ton because I was, you know, I was filming one of his teammates. But um, yeah, what do, what do you think about Brew McCoy? What's the the USC kind of connection there, if anything? Yeah, he's got an offer as an athlete, and that's the big question about him: is he going to play receiver? Is he going to develop more into sort of a hybrid tight end type, or is he a guy that plays outside linebacker? Uh, I I like him an outside linebacker just because of his body, and I think. He can definitely fill out and be a guy that can play outside linebacker, uh, but he's going to be one of those guys that likes the touchdowns and likes the catches, and it's going to be on him whether he decides that he's going to sort of put on the weight and the strength and be more of a defensive player as opposed to kind of trying to you know, find a niche there as a sort of big receiver or maybe a tight end. Yeah, he, he looked good. I mean, I think they really, if he didn't play well, they don't win that game. So they needed him to kind of step up, um, once, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown wasn't in there. So good, you know, kudos to him. I thought he played really well. Uh, so Solomon Tuiala, Tuiala Pupu, right? Is that how you, I want to yes. make sure, yeah, yes. I want to make sure I said it. There's a lot of, you know, we got to get these Polynesian names right. Um, it's funny you watch him in person, you watch him in warm-ups and stuff. And I got I think I got a pretty good picture of him with his eyes kind of getting all they're like crazy man eyes, you know. He he's definitely a dude that stands out. I wouldn't say kind of like the weekend before when I went to see uh like uh Raymond, Raymond Scott. Scott. Yeah, like he made he was doing a lot of stuff, but there wasn't like the big wow play. Um he had a a pretty big hit out of bounds like Pushing, I think I forget what it was. One of the receivers or something, and then one of his teammates like flew over him and hit the guy out of bounds, so they got a penalty on that. Um, but so it wasn't like super wow plays, but he was all you know, he was all over the place, um, you know, making stuff happen. But it just wasn't the like he didn't have like a pick six or you know some super sack or anything like that. So 
Yeah, it's kind of like when you're filming a guy isolation, you'd like to see something like that. But I, he made a lot of quality plays. So I think when people see the footage, they're like, all right, we can kind of see, um, you know, what this guy is. And I know Keeley talked to, uh, JT Daniels the week before. He's certainly trying to work on Solomon, trying to get him to come, uh, to USC. And I talked to him for a while afterwards. We'll have a story and stuff, uh, going up too. Nothing too terribly, uh, crazy, but. He's not, not going to take official visits to the local schools. Um, but you know, he's been, he's been to USC, he's been to UCLA and things like that. But, uh, he, he was really impressive in person, Gerard. Yeah. I would anticipate that he may go ahead and take some visits and then maybe it take three visits and then end up probably still ending up officially visiting USC. There's a lot of those kids that say that, you know, uh, I'm just going to go to out of state schools and some kids, do it, but it's a much smaller number than the kids that say it and then end up going to USC in January. You know, sort of the Juju Smith rule where, you know, I'm taking all my visits to all other schools or Mom Marshall or these other kids that, you know, kind of say that and then all of a sudden, you know, comes January and it's like, oh, I got a weekend here and they end up on USC's campus. It's hard to take all five of your official visits during the season, especially if you're a modern day and you actually have a schedule where you got to play people <laughs> week in and week out. And it's really difficult to jump on that red eye and to go take an official visit. Once you do that a couple times, I think the kids go, okay, I'm a little over this. You know, some kids can do it. It's crazy. Some kids, like I remember Josh Shaw, uh, the former safety at USC, who ended up committing to Florida out of high school, and he took all those visits during the season. And I'm like, man, isn't that isn't that just drain you? Isn't that just kill you? And he did it. But there's a lot of guys that once you do that on a Friday night after a game and then you jump on a plane and you go back east, it's like, oh, oh man, it's like it's it's plenty to deal with. And so, um, you know, we'll see if that if that goes on. I think a lot of kids talk about I'm going to take, you know, all five of my official visits and they have all these big illusions of, oh, wow, I'm going to go to this game and go to that game. And then, you know, it starts to, the reality of like trying to get out there to, to do that and make those visits becomes harder and harder. So you only take a couple of visits during the season and then you've got those three visits after the season and it just gets tiring and you just go, you know what, I could just go to USC and just hang out. And, you know, obviously they're very interested in USC and the coaches are really working them at that point. So we'll see with Solomon to uh, poo uh, about his, uh, official visit plans. I could see him popping up at USC with his buddy, Palaite Goteote, who's the other linebacker that you were filming. Yeah, Palaite Goteote. And I, I talked to people that work at Bishop Gorman and they were saying, oh, they pronounce, they was, I've heard like three different pronunciations for his name. So it's, it's not easy. Um, talk to him after the game too. He did not, I, I wouldn't say he didn't even have as many plays. There weren't any really big wow plays. Um, he had a couple good tackles, mostly late, but it was so funny. Like he would rush the passer a lot, but JT Daniels gets rid of the ball so quickly. It was like he would make a move, he would get by, but he still couldn't get to the quarterback before he got rid of the ball. So it was a little bit, um, you know, it just didn't get to see a ton from him. You get to see him moving around and stuff. And he's obviously a big kid. He had a, he was wearing a elbow brace. Um, I wasn't sure what was going on there, but talked to him for a while. Uh, he said he was, you know, solid in his commitment to USC. He might take a couple visits and stuff, but really cool. I've never talked to him in person. Really nice kid. Um, you know, he was very articulate kid. Yeah. Very articulate. Um, and you know, sometimes you talk to a player after a loss, especially you're on the road after a loss. Like there's no chance, but luckily we did. We got to talk to him for a while and he was great, you know, really gracious. So you'll get to see some of his, 
uh, footage out there too. But look, you know, big. I think he's, you know, he might be two forty. I don't know. He's like at least two thirty five or so. Um, yeah, I think he was two forty five at the opening. I, I can't recall okay. exactly, but yeah, he's a, he's a big boy, and the big debate is. With USC recruiting he and Tui Alapupu, you know, a kind of sort of inside linebackers. They both play inside linebacker. Does Cam Smith leave early and you kind of open up that competition for the Mike linebacker spot? Uh, or does one of them end up going and playing over at that Sam spot? I mean, he plays an outside linebacker spot right now, and I've always sort of projected him more at the Sam spot because I think in terms of being able to make that immediate impact and you've got Nuchenna Iwusu leaving and you look at what's behind him, uh, I think he has the physicality to be able to come in and really the, 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 the smarts to probably pick up the defense right away at that position and to play it right away and to make an impact and to be a guy that you feel like physically can stand up at the line of scrimmage. And he does that already at Bishop Corbin. He kind of sort of plays a stand-up rush end a lot. He ends up in line of scrimmage a lot and he rushes the passer, just like you said. So, you know, with, with Solomon, he's a guy that plays inside, and he's always played inside. And, and while he's a bit of a wild man, he is, I think, more comfortable playing that position right now. It's not to say athletically he couldn't also play Sam. Um, it's just in terms of transition-wise, I think he knows the Mike linebacker position. And if you are being, being able to keep Cam Smith there, I think a year behind him would be really, really good. You know, I think it would really allow him to develop and really hit the ground running um, you know, sophomore year. He's probably not going to redshirt. He's not one of those kids that would get redshirt. He'd be able to play special teams and he'd get some reps behind Cam Smith. But I think in terms of when you really need him and you really want to throw him into the fire, I think that would be a perfect situation scenario for USC if, you know, Cam Smith came back for his senior year and, uh, Tulio Pupa was able to develop, uh, a year behind him before he was really depended upon. The, uh, so the other guy, Dorian Thompson Robinson. So if you, you know, He's committed to UCLA, the quarterback for Bishop Gorman, um, you know, wasn't starting, uh, last year, but was getting all kinds of offers and stuff as a, as a quarterback that wasn't even starting. Uh, went to the, you know, Elite 11, uh, up at the opening and stuff and, uh, really was a rough start for him. And I, I kind of tweeted something like this, the, the, the USC commit is clearly outplaying the UCLA commit. And it was true, but I thought Dorian Tufton Robinson played a lot better, like in the fourth quarter. It's almost, uh, sort, maybe sort of like a Josh Rosen, not quite like that. They, I mean, but they, they definitely came back uh, in the game a little bit that, that modern day was dominating. But the, the problem was it's like as talented as Bishop Gorman is, for whatever reason, they couldn't protect him all that much. And the whole Bishop Gorman offense was just him basically running the football. And he started completing some passes kind of later on and, uh, you know, making it a closer game and stuff. So I thought he definitely played better later. Um, you know, this is only a second career start, so you don't want to be too hard on the kid. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, definitely was heartbreaking, I think, for Bishop Gorman, all the fans that were there. Like, they, you know, they haven't lost in years. Um, I think he's going to be a really good player. But if you looked at the two, and I know, you know, uh, DJ, uh, t- you know, um, Daniels had a, you know, a little bit better protection and stuff like that, but, he just looked like a much better thrower of the football, at least to me. Well, I, I the one guy that sort of gets lost in here is a USC prospect, and the guy that I really liked, and we talked about this before on podcasts and I've written about him, it kind of was surprised that USC didn't take a longer look at him, was Chris Murray. And I know that you probably didn't watch Chris Murray, the, the offensive guard for modern day, but, I mean, he's a guy that over the summer went and got his 
uh, offer from from Stanford from the camp. He's been offered from a few different schools. I I, I don't I can't remember if it was Alabama that offered him or somebody else came in uh, kind of late and offered him a scholarship. Uh, he, from what I was watching from the replay, um, was was really dominant and played really really well. And as a guy that uh, played really really well at the Rising Stars camp, now it wasn't the most uh, stacked defensive line camp that there ever was. Um, but just mauled people and, and a guy that, you know, a year where you look at USC and you think, okay, they could use some interior alignment with some of the guys that are going to be leaving. Um, I'm surprised USC hasn't really recruited harder. I thought there was a possibility he might get a scholarship offer after the rising stars camp. Uh, but we have seen that through fall camp and kind of the development of some of the players that they've had from that 2017 class, there may be our questions of whether they have enough tackles also. I mean, you, you kind of looked at, you know, Andrew Voorhees and said, okay, I thought he was more of a guard coming out of high school, but then in fall camp he played some right tackle, or actually in spring ball he played some right tackle, and in fall camp he played right tackle and he played right guard, and he looked good, but we saw in the game when he actually got reps, uh, he played really good on the interior, and he just has that body of a guy that you go, you know, he could be probably a really good guard, a really good interior player, and so... That starts to, okay, now you have maybe one less tackle. Uh, we know that uh, Austin Jackson is going to play left tackle, uh, still kind of questioning whether he's going to be that franchise-type left tackle. Can he be that end-all, be-all guy that you put there and he can play for three years as a starter? Um, but uh, some of the other guys, you know, we've seen uh, Elijah Vera Tucker looks like he's going to play inside. Um, so now, you know, when you when you go from signing day where you've got four guys that are listed that could play off the tackle, throw Jalen McKenzie in there as a blue shirt, um, now you come out of fall camp and you have to have your first game, you start to look at it and say, well, you know what, maybe USC doesn't have the scholarship offers to offer a bunch of interior guys. Even though they're going to be losing some of those guys, they still need to have some offensive tackles. They still maybe need to recruit a guy that can play right tackle down the line. Um, so that's been an interesting development. But watching that modern day um, uh, the Bishop Gorman game, you saw that the interior offensive line from, from modern day just manhandled Bishop Gorman. I mean, they couldn't really stop the run, especially on that last drive when uh, they had to stop the run, and modern day just kept running it, kept gashing them. Yeah, they did. Um, did what about uh, – so I didn't really notice uh, Chris Murray as much. Uh, what about Tommy Brown? He was number 75. Is he uh... – Someone that he seemed to be this big. He's six foot seven, three hundred fifteen pounds. I don't know if he was a player, but I, I definitely saw him a few times. He would run into, uh, you know, blocking the linebackers. I would when I was filming. Yeah, he he's a big body, and USC's watched a lot of them. I just don't think they feel like upside wise. He's a guy that uh, has the athleticism to play tackle at USC and to be that kind of guy. He's a little more of a a road grader. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, if, if down the line, you know, he, he projects a little better. He'd be more probably of a right tackle than a left tackle. Um, he didn't camp at USC like Chris Murray did. And so that was something that probably, um, from a, an evaluation standpoint for Neil Calloway was a little bit of a, of a knock. Um, but he'd been to USC before. And like I said, I think USC's seen plenty of him to be able to make a call on him. It's just a matter of, you know, looking at your options and then later down the line figuring, uh, you know, maybe we need another offensive tackle, and this guy's not necessarily the body type we want, but, you know, this we need a guy at this position. But he he's a little bit of a legacy to Alabama, committed to Alabama. Um, interesting kind of, I thought that was a little bit of a reach, though, for Alabama in terms of just overall talent and ability. Um, but uh, I think USC 
uh, if they had their choice, they'd rather have somebody with a little more athleticism. Obviously, they're recruiting the heck out of Jackson Carmen uh, from Failford, Ohio, uh, four-star, five-star, depending on you know what publication you're looking at, off to tackle, a guy that we've talked about a lot, um, being probably a little more of a right tackle. I mean, when you're looking at the ceiling, you're starting to look at, like, okay, where would he be drafted after the combine? And you're starting to look at body type and kind of talked about that with Jer- Jer- uh, Daniel Jeremiah, you know, who was at the opening with us and he did a little uh, uh, play-by-play for the seven-on tournament for NFL Network. And he kind of was looking at Jackson Carmen and we kind of talked about that. Um, when you're looking that far down the line, you say, okay, is he really a true tackle? Is he a guy that can play left tackle? But for college purposes, you look at his athleticism and you look at how he can play, he can certainly play right tackle for sure. And so that's kind of the big fish that USC is looking at for tackles. But you start to question, okay, that's a guy that obviously Ohio State's going to recruit. It's going to be hard to get him out of state. You know, what are your other options? And so that's that's really sort of, we talked about this last week, that's where that whole, you know, two-year evaluation of last year's class with this year's class comes in. And, I mean, that's going to be the big question. Does USC start to look a little further um, and, and, and offer maybe more guys. They've got a few offers for offensive tackles in Florida. I don't think those guys are coming west. Uh, they have offered Jaron Kump, and Jaron Kump actually came out to the game and was at uh, the Western Michigan game. He visited UCLA and USC this past week, and we have a story up on the front page from Blair and Gulo. Um, so check that out. That's a guy that maybe potentially – uh, there could be some traction with later down the line. It would probably be more of a legitimate offensive tackle prospect for USC. All right. I think so. That was kind of the main guys there. I saw, I don't know if I even told you this, Eric Richards, who's uh, one of the guys that works for the Army All American Bowl. I know Eric Richards. Yeah. We, did you go out to lunch with, we, we went out to lunch back in the day when we were in Georgia. We were in Atlanta with Schmitty and Eric yeah, I think Richards. He, came. he took yeah. us to that, to that hot dog place. Was that the one? Or is were it you like, with us? Yeah, I think was that the All American or something in Atlanta? Is that the one we went to all together? Yeah, that we went to. Yeah, we went to the Five Star Challenge down there, and we went out to lunch with them, and went to that uh, that hot dog place where the lady yells at you, and she says, "What you having?" Remember that? Yeah, that was cool. So, well, anyway, so just the Eric Richards was there, so he lives like in I don't know somewhere in the south, you know, like somewhere like right. very far away, and he was like, "You don't really get an opportunity to have like ten All Americans in one game." Like he'll he's like, "I'll drive." hours and hours to go see one All-American. He's like, there's like 10 of them in this game. I'm like, yep, that, that, you know, that kind of makes sense. So uh, a lot of, lot of talent uh, in Santa Ana that night. Yeah. Well, I don't know what happened to Schmitty. He should have been out here. Schmitty, where were you, man? What's our buddy? Um, our New Jersey, our buddy, our New Jersey buddy from the All-American game. Yeah, he lives in Jersey, right? Yeah, he's a Jersey boy. Yeah. Uh, really cool dudes. But those are, those are some of the cool relationships we've made over the years by ch- traveling and covering these recruiting events. Uh, those army guys are all, are all awesome. So it was always fun to, to chat with them. So, okay. So that was my Friday night. And then, uh, instead of rolling over to the Coliseum in the hundred and whatever degree heat, you went even hotter. <laughs> you went yeah, even hotter. I left, left the house like at eight, at eight forty-five, thinking, Oh man, I'm going to get there. It's going to be early. So what, know, tell people to, what this was. Get a lay of the land. Yeah, tell people what this was you were going to, because there was like three high school games in San Diego. It's the Honorable, which is actually a weekend event. They actually have games there um, in, during uh, Friday, like kind of Friday, Thursday. They have like a whole, it's a really literally a whole weekend of football games. And so Saturday is usually the big day. Sometimes we go to Brothers in Arms. 
uh, which I, I think technically Brothers in Arms was a part of the survive Mission Viejo games that they had in Mission Viejo, but Honorable was in San Diego this year, so they had, you know, the big the big game was the Helix Paraclete matchup, which we talked about, and watching Andre Hunt, uh, six 180-pound receivers committed to USC going against uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, who's the four-star All-American opening fastest man uh, from Helix High School, who transferred from St. Augustine over to Helix High School. Um, interestingly enough, wearing number six, he did wear number five at St. Gu- uh, Augustine, and I kind of talked about that with him when he told me he was transferring to Helix. And I said, so you're going to get number five at Helix? Because there was a guy that USC fans are pretty familiar with who wore number five at Helix. And he kind of smiled and said, I don't know, you know what's going to happen. But that number was retired and they asked him, they said, hey, do you want to talk to Reggie about unretiring the number? Do you want to try to wear it? And Isaac Taylor Stewart said, nah, I'm cool with six. So he's wearing the number six. But that was, you know, a great matchup, watching two top receivers go against each other. And Pericle has a decent receiver, or excuse me, a decent quarterback in Brevin White. Uh, so he's not a, a bad quarterback, not a guy that, you know, sometimes you get a high school team and you get a good receiver, but the high school quarterback just can't get on the ball. I mean, you know, Hawkins High School's kind of been like that, where they've had some really good receivers, and you're going, you know, but you can't get the ball to them because the quarterback just can't throw it. Pauly has that issue sometimes. Long Beach Pauly has that issue. Obviously, they don't have that this year with Matt Corral there, but in previous years, you go and you see guys like uh, Kenyon Rambo, or you go see some top receivers, and sometimes they just don't have the quarterback to get them the ball. So, Brevin White, decent quarterback, more of an Ivy League level guy. I don't think he's a USC level guy or even a Pac-12 level guy, but a decent quarterback that can get the, you know, the receivers the ball. But in this game, it really, in the first half, just couldn't do it just because the pass rush um, threw some kind of errant passes. Uh, For me, in my opinion, watching the game, uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart won the matchup. Uh, He held uh, Andre Hunt really to one catch, uh, which was a, just a quick slant pass over the middle. It was a good route. It was a good catch. Um, but I mean, in terms of getting loose deep and, and really being able to control them, Isaac Taylor Stewart was over Andre Hunt most of the game. He shadowed him. He, he followed him and really did a good job. Just his size and his speed. And he played a lot of press man. And what Helix did, which was smart, is play, um, Isaac Taylor Stewart and a lot of press man, which allowed him to blitz. And it was some quarter blitzes. And actually, the one time that, he wasn't on Andre Hunt one-on-one early in the game. He actually went to the other side of the field. He was impressed man against the other receiver, and he came off the, the receiver and blitz. And I, I missed that because I was on Andre Hunt shooting him. But I saw, you know, that, oh, he's, he's blitzing, and he ended up sacking the quarterback. And so had an interception, had a sack, uh, really was all over the field. They played him a little bit at running back for Helix. He played a lot of running back for St. Augustine last year, and I'd encourage anybody to go watch that huddle film. He's a very good running back. I mean, Isaac Taylor Stewart was one of the better running backs that I saw on film as a junior. And you're talking about a guy who's 6'2", 195 pounds. So he's, he's a legitimate game breaker as a running back. But I think at this point in his career, he's focused on playing cornerback. He wants to play cornerback. And, and in that heat, I mean, it was so hot. And they didn't water down the turf like they did at Mission Viejo. So it was really bad. Um, I don't think they wanted to wear him out playing a bunch of running back. He played a little in the slot. He had, I think, one catch. Um, and then he can, then he had a couple of plays out of the offensive backfield as a running back. And you saw it. There was a flash of it, and we'll have it on video, where they ran a screen pass. 
and he almost took it to the house. I mean, he it was like just the blink of an eye, but he stepped out of bounds evidently. So they, he didn't get it, but man, it was it was one of those things. You go, man, if they just put in more. I don't think anybody from Paraclete can really handle him. You really can't deal with him. Um, and so he ended up getting really bad cramps uh, about mid. I think it was about midway through second quarter, and then it got really bad sort of third quarter, and he ended up being out. And with him not in the game, that's when Paraclete started testing, uh, you know, the, the the Helix defense a little more, and they started being able to get the ball more to Andre Hunt. He shook shook loose for a long touchdown um, and, uh, you know, kind of the deep pass, which is really what he's known for. That's his, that's his thing is the skinny post. Um, that's kind of where he gets open. That's where we saw him at the elite camp really beat a lot of guys. Um, he doesn't have any great track times, but he does seem to get some good separation deep once he can get off the line of scrimmage. The biggest issue with him is physicality off the line of scrimmage. And so, um, he's, he's a little bit of a situational player, I think, projecting him in college because he's, the physicality is not necessary for run blocking. And if you press him with a bigger corner, he really has trouble getting off the line of scrimmage. Um, but he did have a good kick return, actually, the, the opening kickoff to the second half. He, he returned like 55 yards, uh, which was really a good kick return because it didn't look like he had any room. And he sort of weaves his way in from one side of the field and then just torpedoed up the right side of the field and was able to get to that midfield before he got knocked out of bounds. So um, it was a nice matchup. You're going to be able to see every rep of it. Um, like I said, my opinion, um, I, I would say that Isaac Taylor Stewart won the matchup, holding him to one catch and kind of doing everything else he did on, on, on defense. And you saw some good tackles. He just, you know, he's just a freakish athlete. You know, and he looked it. He looked the part and he played the part. Um, but Ayer Hunt played well. They both got MVP after the game. Um, so that was kind of the thing. Everybody gets an MVP. I think there's two for per team. So both of those guys got MVP trophies after the game. And so that was, uh, that was that matchup. Um, in terms of recruiting process, Andre Hunt says he's going to officially visit Washington State. He's still talking about visiting Arizona, although they haven't offered him a scholarship, which is interesting. You usually don't hear USC commits talk about still wanting to visit Arizona, even though they don't have a scholarship offer from Arizona. Um, for Isaac Taylor Stewart, He's got uh, a tentative visit set up for LSU. Um, that's probably going to be here in the next couple of weeks, if not October. Um, he did say he wants to visit USC. He said unofficially, but again, that's one of those guys I could see later in the process uh, maybe still taking an official visit. He's got Oregon after him. He said Oregon calls him all the time. He said, uh, said Alabama, Tosh LePoy and Nick Saban are both texting him all the time. He said Oregon and, and Alabama are probably the two schools recruiting him the hardest. So that's par for the course for USC fans. We know that USC is not going to really turn up the heat until we get into like November, December. So uh, that's kind of where it stands with both those in terms of recruiting. All right. Um, no, wait, that was the last game you went to, right? There wasn't any more? That was the first game I went to Saturday. Oh, then oh yeah. Cause the next game. Oh, geez. Yeah. So there was, so wait, you went to three? <laughs> Or two. Went to three games. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Like that was like, I'm trying to like, cause I'm, I'm trying to follow what you were tweeting, like while I'm doing pregame stuff at USC. And then of course, after the USC game was crazy with the Jake Olson stuff. And then I ended up having to go to a wedding and I was still seeing like, yeah, it was just like a crazy night. I, f- I forgot how many games you went to, but you actually, <laughs> oh man. So yeah, well, I went, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't stay for the Centennial IMG game. That was the, the kind of the nightcap in the big game because it was one versus, I think Centennial is ranked like seven, six or seven or something, uh, nationally. Um, kind of the IMG thing. I'm 
principally not really a big fan of. Um, you know, the, the super team sort of traveling AAU-style football team. I, I don't even know what to really call it. Um, you know, against the regular high school football team, it seems like it's not an even playing field. Um, but watched a little bit of that in the first half, and I was ready to jet out. Really, the second game, which was a bigger game, and, and specifically for USC in terms of USC recruiting, was the Sarah Punahou game. So, like I said before, Punahou travels really well. So they were, everybody was there for Punahou. Uh, Sarah doesn't travel very well. Um, they came in and they lost that first game versus Narbonne. I think that took a little bit of wind out of their sails. Uh, but for Narbonne, I mean, or excuse me, for Sarah, you have um, Brian Addison, who's probably the top safety prospect on USC's board right now. Uh, you have Max Williams, who's a 2019 cornerback that USC has offered and a lot of people are recruiting. You have Kobe Smith. You have John Jackson. Um, you have plenty of Merlin Robinson. You have plenty of players there that USC is recruiting and at least in contact with. And then with Punoho, you have uh, Mananoa uh, Tofono, who is the big-time linebacker, the 2019 linebacker that uh, played really well. And so this game was a real back-and-forth game. Uh, it was kind of, you know, Punoho came out and, and played well and, and looked like they were clicking offensively. Uh, Sarasor made some big plays, though, and it was kind of tied going back and forth. And then at one point, sort of, got, we got closer to halftime. Punahou made a couple of big plays and just sort of seemed to be blowing it open to some extent, uh, really through the air. Uh, Max Williams had a rough game. He, he had a really rough game. Uh, they just threw the ball where he was in locked up in man coverage, and guys just were running past him for whatever reason. He fell down on one play. Uh, another play looked like he just got beat. Um, and so that was one of those things where it just seemed like, uh, I mean, Punahou was clicking really well with the passing game. And I will say this. And this was one of the surprising things. Stephen Barber, who's a uh, quarterback for Punahou, a guy that, um, I mean, I think he's got an offer from Hawaii. Maybe he's got a couple other Mountain West offers. 6'3", 220 pounds, really good athlete. I mean, he outran at the end of the game the whole Sarah defense. The game ended up going to where Punahou was up, Sarah came back. Second half, Sarah goes up, and they go up a touchdown. And they really went up on the back of Brian Aston playing wide receiver. Uh, they, they, they started running the ball better. A lot of that had to do with Mananoa Tufono getting hurt. He ended up having like full body cramps. I mean, he, this is how hot it was. I mean, the Hawaiian football players, you know, it gets hot and humid in Hawaii, right? They were going, they were dropping like flies. The Punahou players were dropping like flies and they were all cramping up. And Tufono ended up like they had to put ice underneath his, his armpits. And I mean, he was like fully, heat exhaustion mode, stretched out on the trainer's table, and under cutting tape off of him, like, well, he's out of the game. Well, Sarah saw that immediately and started running right up the middle. Boom, 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 running up the middle, running up the middle. And that got them into the red zone. And then once they got in the red zone, they were just throwing the ball to Brian Addison. He was unstoppable. I mean, he had three touchdown catches. There was nobody being able to stop him. He was just going up and grabbing the ball out of the air. Sarah goes up, and... Sarah, kind of typical fashion, it's sort of what they did against Narbonne. They sort of fell asleep a little bit, and they let Punahou kind of start to get some drives together again. And this kid, Stephen Barber, was just hitting guys. I mean, he was he was really on it. He was running the football. And at 6'3", 220, I mean, he's like a linebacker-sized guy. And so Punahou ends up getting back into the game, tying it. Um, they go up. Uh, they end up actually going up on him. It's going back and forth again. And uh, the last drive, 
Brian Addison isn't on the field. And and Sarah ended up getting to, I think it was like the 30-yard line, I think, of Puno. And they're driving. They look like, oh, they're going to score again. You know, Kobe Smith had a big game. I think he had something like 10, 12 catches or something. Um, so it looks like Sarah is going to score again, but they run out of downs, basically. They don't get Brian Addison in the game. They're thrown in the end zone, and they go fourth down, and they don't get it. But they get down to the point where they're, like, on the goal line of uh, of Punahou. And so Punahou takes the ball over, but they're, like, backed up in their own goal line. And this kid, Stephen Barber, takes a – I don't know if it was a read option or not. I wasn't focused in on him. I think I was looking at Brian Addison, who was coming up. He was trying to blitz, trying to get a safety, obviously. And he makes a move, makes one guy miss, and outruns the whole secondary of Sarah to – to the to the end zone, and he scores like a 99 yard touchdown, and I was like, wow. I was like, you know, there's a lot of names that get thrown out. Like, who's USC going to recruit as a linebacker, or excuse me, as a quarterback in 2018? I mean, I look at a guy like that and say, at least he's an athlete. At least he can make plays. I mean, he's got a good arm. He's a big kid, and he freaking just outran Max Williams from you know like a standing start to to the end zone, and that was impressive to me. Uh, so Puno pulled out the big victory, and Mananoa Tufono, for, to his credit, actually got back in the game. Like for the last couple of series, the freaking kid put his pads back on, and from being basically laid out on the table, and he was in pain, man. He was walking around. You could see that he was still cramping all over, and still got out there and, and played. And uh, that was really, I think, the kind of the turning point in the game. Really, was Sarah getting back in? It was him going out because he's a big body in the middle. I mean, he's a two hundred. 30, 35 pound kid, 6'2. Um, he, he just takes up a lot of space in the middle. And once he went out, that's when Sarah really started running the ball right back up the middle. And so, uh, it was a huge win for them. I mean, obviously that was big. You come all the way from Hawaii and you beat a team like Sarah, which has so much talent. Uh, that was, you know, a big victory. And talk to Brian Addison afterwards. He's not saying much about recruiting. It's, you know, it's his dad. What I learned was his dad actually played at Hawaii and then knew a bunch of the Punahou coaches. So that was interesting. They were all kind of hanging out, taking pictures uh, after the game. Um, but he had a, a fantastic game and a, and a great game. And so, you know, the questions of him, whether he plays defense or offense at the next level, continue. Because, I mean, you get three touchdowns and you're just basically unstoppable at some point. People are going, wow, if he is a better receiver than he is a safety. Um, and uh, Tufono played really well. Um, just, you know, didn't play a whole lot there in that second half because of the cramps. Um, and, and then, you know, a guy like Stephen Barber kind of came out of nowhere who – uh, just a good-looking football player, man. A guy that's got the speed and uh, a big arm. There's a lot in between that you'd have to develop and you'd have to teach, certainly. Uh, but, you know, I, like I said, I've seen lesser prospects get longer looks from USC at the quarterback position. So uh, we'll see, you know, how that shakes out if, if that doesn't get back to USC and they kind of take another look at a guy like that. Um, but that was, a you know, another big game. And then, like I said, the nightcap was, you know, IMG – you got Buki Radley, you got uh, T.J. Pledger, you got uh, Brian Hyatt Tower, you got a few California kids that are on the team. They're playing Centennial, which has that just ridiculous system that they just keep plugging guys in. Uh, the big issue with that game is that um, the, the the Centennial quarterback, uh, Tanner McKee, ended up going down uh, early in the game and getting hurt, and that kind of really changed the momentum of the game. I think that's really um, – I like I said, I didn't stick around for very long because I was like, okay – I'm I'm done for the night. I'm <laughs> I think I'm I'm done for the weekend. Um, but that was kind of sort of the the tipping point. But you know, Centennial. I mean, you kind of give your hats off to them for even playing a game like that when you've got IMG that 
basically recruits the nation. I mean, they got guys from Georgia, they got guys from Florida, they got guys from Texas. They got, I mean, they just basically start emailing sophomores in high school and say, hey, come play for us, you know, if they think they're a top uh, rated player. And um, they recruit uh, from all over the nation. So it's sort of an all star team, if you will. And there's a lot of people, you know, that sort of think that you shouldn't be playing them. Basically, you shouldn't promote them by, by, by having those matchups and, they kind of uh, are a little critical of, of Matt Logan for doing that and, and bringing those guys out here for Centennial. But then there's other people that say, you know, there's still high school football players, and you look at modern day, they have transfers. You look at Bishop Gorman, they have transfers. So, I mean, it's a debatable subject. But uh, that was that was Saturday night. That was uh, there from, like I said, uh, like 11-something, I think I got there, and then left around 8.30 at night. I wouldn't have got home until, goodness gracious, probably way after midnight if I would have stuck around for all three of those games. Man, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. But that And, and we had Shotgun at a game. We had Keeley at a game. So there's a bunch of more content going up on uscfootball.com. So yeah, con- Keeley, Keeley saw Liam. Um, I was going, almost going to say Liam Neeson. <laughs> Liam Douglas of the USC Offensive Line Commit at Harvard-Westlake. Uh, Shotgun went and saw, I'm blanking on who Shotgun saw. Who did Shotgun go to see? Do you remember? Um, he went to Huntington Beach, right? Or, yeah. Huntington Beach. You were going to go to Villa Park, actually, at Redondo High School and go watch Marcus Johnson, but Marcus Johnson is actually sitting out right. the first five games of the season. So, uh, that ended up not happening. So you went to be at the the big game with everybody else. Actually, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're you're right. He went to Edison. He went to Edison to go watch uh, Huntington Beach Edison go play Oaks Christian. So we'll have stuff on Bo Calvert and Kayvon Thubido. So those those expect video and information and news and analysis and stuff coming from those games as well. Yeah, so it's hard. So we've got a pretty big staff now, and it's going to get a little bigger. There's a lot of content going up on USCfootball.com, so make sure you're checking out the front page because uh, it's fresh stuff going, fresh stuff going up all the time. Our yeah, Chris Trevino went to I think the Narbonne Poly game, yeah, and so he's going out to games as well. And you know, you can read his content, of course. And then when the two sites merge, it'll it'll come right up on the site, and he'll be on the message board. So yeah, uh, tons of tons of stuff going on. I mean, I still got interviews and video. I have, like I said, I haven't even looked at my video yet to edit it. Yeah. Uh, so lots going on. We have a couple questions, Gerard, and then we'll probably wrap this one up. I got to go over to practice, but, uh, let's go to Lee. He said, my question is for Gerard. I'd like to know what's going on, uh, with Lancaster athlete Devon Williams. Where does USC stand with him and how come I don't hear his name mentioned in any of the recruiting podcasts? Well, you're hearing it now, Lee, but we'll let Gerard answer that. We've talked about Devin Williams quite yeah. a bit. Maybe it's because it's Devin, not Devon. I'm sorry, um, he is looking at USC. Uh, actually talked about him. I feel like maybe we talked about him a lot last podcast, or maybe it was the War Room. Um, and, and just talked about his interest in USC and USC starting to ramp up uh, the 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 attention and the, the push for him a little more. Uh, he, to my knowledge, did not make the USC game Saturday, but he did go to UCLA. And the UCLA and Oregon have thought to be his front runners. I got an interesting email from somebody who went to his first game that had mentioned that he really didn't play a great game and kind of disappeared in the game. And they lost, I think it was like six to nothing to Grace Brethren, which is kind of a not 
the best team in the world and kind of an odd score, uh, considering, you know, he's such a dynamic player. We saw him play at the opening. It's interesting, though, with, with Devin Williams is that he has sort of disappeared, though, even in the seven-on-seven circuit. And we talked about this before. He played for two different teams. He played for B2G, and he's, and he's played for Ground Zero. Sometimes he played for both those teams in the same tournament. And I don't remember a passing tournament where I came away thinking, oh, wow, you know, he had such a great performance or was so dominating in this tournament. Uh, that really didn't happen outside of the, the two camps that he was at, the, the opening regional, which was in Los Angeles, and then the opening finals where he was really, really good. Um, up there in Oregon. So uh, d- d- there's still some questions for me just about, you know, where he stands, um, you know, uh, against maybe some of the other top receivers locally. I-, I think at this point I would certainly take him over Jalen Hall. Jalen Hall just hasn't done anything at this point, to, to, even at the camps. I mean, at least with Devin Williams, you've seen some camp performances against national competition where he's played really, really well. I mean, Jalen Hall really doesn't have that at this point. Um, but, you know, you look at USC's roster and you think, okay, they've got some big receivers, and we talked about this last week in the premium podcast. Where do you see personnel-wise their needs, and what do you see them recruiting, and do they need, you know, bigger receivers? Certainly if you watch the Western Michigan game, you'd say, oh, yeah, they need bigger receivers. All they got is Jalen Hall and Stephen Mitchell and Deontay Burnett. But in the reality, you've got Michael Pittman there. You've got Josh Imator Bebe. You've got uh, Joseph Lewis and you've got Randall Grimes, who are all big receivers, all big guys that can be physical. It's just USC hasn't really played them yet. Uh, Tyler Ron is even a guy that, that is pretty long and, and somewhat tall uh, and rangy. So um, the question for me is, you know, does USC go after a guy that's like that or do they go after a smaller, quicker guy? Um, not small. I don't think they want to recruit small, but uh, more of a six-foot guy that, can get open in space and has that short area quickness to be able to create in space. And so uh, that's what we kind of have to see going forward. But USC is involved with Devin Williams, and they're still recruiting him very hard. Uh, we're just going to have to see how that shakes out. I think Oregon is the leader right now, and certainly UCLA. Uh, head coach went to UCLA. He's still very involved uh, with his recruitment. And so UCLA has been there, and they've been a presence in his recruitment all along. Um, I think UCLA is going to have a tough year this year, though. Uh, that 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 win they got was great, and I think it was really celebrated by the, the Bruin players and the Bruin fans because they kind of know you can't run the ball and you can't stop the run and you can't protect your quarterback. They're not going to win a lot of games, and I I don't follow Texas A&M football that that closely, but Texas A&M, from what I understood, was not supposed to have the best team this year, and so a lot of people anticipated UCLA would win this game and be one of the games that they should win. And at one point they were now 44, what, 10? So, yeah. <laughs> Everybody was like, oh, my God, this is such a great comeback. This is such a great win. But then kind of trying to ignore the fact that at some point you're down 44-10 to a team that is just not that great. So uh, we'll see going forward, you know, how that impacts their recruiting and, and um, you know, kind of what, what happens with the coaching staff. There's so much that happens, you know, with even USC. You know, we're we're looking at USC and the year they had last year, uh, at the end of the year, obviously created a lot of recruiting momentum. Um, they got to do the same this year. You can't just go out there and lose games and expect to be in it with a guy like Jackson Carmen or some of these other players you're, you're trying to recruit out, out of state. Um, so we'll see how all that develops. And Devin Williams will be a guy that, like I said, will be there and USC will be recruiting. But they're going to go head-to-head against UCLA and they're going to go head-to-head against Oregon for him. Yeah, he looked good up in the opening, but then um, 
you know, it's it's not always it's he's not always on. Like sometimes he's on, sometimes it's off. It seems. Uh, let's see. Brian has a question for you, Gerard. A few months ago, Gerard posted in the Peristyle that he had a story surrounding Stephen Carr's official visit to UCLA. Can he share that story with us? Is that something you can share? Man, I've shared that, I've shared that story a lot on the Peristyle. In fact, I was just asked about it over the summer. It was like uh, right in the beginning, maybe before, just before fall camp. That's a premium story, folks. That's ah, a premium story. Okay. All, I could, all I could say is, you know, UCLA... Deshaun Foster, the new running backs coach, had a relationship with Steven, came in at the end and really made a good push for him. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think Steven felt pretty good about USC. His mom really liked USC. His mom felt like USC was the school he needed to be at. And so, um, you know, it was one of those things that, uh, he's a, he, he's a big time recruit and a guy that got a lot of, a lot of attention. And, and certainly when you've been committed to a school for two years, you want to feel appreciated and sometimes maybe you take visits just to sort of see how much, you know, everybody appreciates you. I mean, it's one of those things that I think the fans sort of have to own to some extent. You guys are just not as interested and as passionate about the guys who are committed as the guys who are committed. It's one of those things that the grass is always greener on the other side. It's, you know, wow, you know, this guy who's not committed, you have all these just these things in your head about how great he's going to be. Once he gets committed, it's like, okay, who's the next guy? You know, who's the next guy that's going to bring us a championship? Who's the next guy that's going to be Reggie Bush? And it's even one of those things that even now when you, you see the comments after the game about some of the players and USC struggles defensively or what have you, and it's such a bipolar type thing. You know, you go from, oh, wow, you know, this guy is playing so great and he's going to be so awesome man we just didn't recruit this position very well we you know we we're, we're not recruiting the offensive line very well we're not recruiting the running back position very well we're not there's always some kind of like knee-jerk reaction that goes both ways and so uh with the recruiting process you know with Stephen carr i think he just you know at the very end he kind of wanted to see you know how, how much does usc really like me and you know i have to compare this with something else he didn't take a bunch of official visits through the process and so, you know, when Deshaun Foster got involved, that was a guy that he had a relationship with. And I think it really, for the most part, it was to sort of help Deshaun with his own position on the staff. You know, if, as a recruiter, if you're able to get big-time guys on campus, that's, that's enough, especially early on. You know, it's like, hey, look, it, I got this guy on campus. You guys weren't involved with him. You guys really weren't going to get him on campus. And that's sort of a, a, the tip of the hat to him as a recruiter and it helps with him you know first big time job came over from gosh i'm forgetting where he came over from deshaun he was i think he was recruiting in texas um but deshaun foster the running back who played at tustin i mean he was a california uh you know cif uh shrine game mvp type guy i remember he came in that same class as justin fargus he's a big time player um and went to ucla was a good player for ucla and uh didn't really do i think a whole lot in the nfl that i can recall um, but he's, you know, kind of been, he was a personnel guy for a while for UCLA. So he built some relationships up and then he went, um, out of state and got his first uh, full-time job and now he's back at UCLA. So that's one of those big things. Like, you know, if you can get him on campus, you can get a five-star guy, uh, you know, it's a good look for, for them. And, you know, Jim Morris says, Hey, you know, this Deshaun Foster guy, he looks like a guy that can really help us recruit. So, um, I think 
when you have a personal relationship with a guy like that, I think there's a little bit of that that goes on. And Stephen Carr was kind of like, hey, you know what? I'm giving the guy a solid by coming on campus and stuff. But at the end of the day, I mean, Stephen said there was no way he was going to UCLA. Yeah. Well, I think USC fans are happy he did not go to UCLA because he looked pretty special. He would be their starting tailback right now for sure over at UCLA. Um Oh, yeah, 100%. I yeah. mean, that's the thing. I mean, when we saw him at fall camp, that was the most impressive thing is that he's he's a part of a good running back group. You know, this is not a group where you've got a bunch of mediocre running backs and you go, well, okay, you know, he just, if he really shines and he really gets the offense, you know, he could really be the guy. I mean, you've got Ronald Jones there who's a very, very good player. I consider him a very solid player. Uh, and and, and Vi, uh, Malapai is, is really going to, I think, open up some eyes in terms of how – much he can contribute, especially on like a third and three or even a third and six because he's a really good receiver out of the backfield. So they've got a really, really good, I mean, I would say better than solid. It's a really good group of tailbacks, and Stephen Carr was still able to, to flash, you know, and still able to do some things to make people say, wow, that really goes to show you the type of talent he has. Um, I think he and J.K. Dobkins was the other uh, running back, a, a guy that Tommy Robinson was after, he recruited at Texas, and then when he came to USC, tried to recruit him. Never got him on campus, but I know really liked him for Ohio State. He, I don't know if you saw the Ohio State Indiana game, but J.K. Dobkins was spectacular in that game. He's going to be a big time player. So that class of running backs is really good. All right, Najee Harris. I mean, we didn't even talk about Najee Harris. Goodness gracious, yeah, that's a, a really good running back class. Yeah, I mean, they didn't mention him. Um, all right, Jerome Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at. G Mart Live. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. Our website's at the Peristyle. You can follow that. Uh, good stuff. We'll have a bunch of footage of the guys we talked about and the games that we saw. And then a whole another group of games coming up. Uh, so it just never ends, Gerard. This is the beginning of, uh, the season. Lots of stuff going on. We love it. We, we miss it when it's not here, but we just got to get, get the nose to the grindstone and keep getting to work. You just keep grinding. It's more grind, but um, it's good, man. We got football back, and um, we're going to see how the Stanford game goes. You know, this could be uh, a big pivot point for USC. I mean, if USC wants to go to the sky's the limits and you start talking about playoff talk, you're going to see how they play against Stanford this week. You know, that's going to determine, I want to say a lot, but it's going to determine sort of uh, their upside and kind of what they can do and – you know, it's going to be a very tough game, especially with Stanford having that much time off and basically being able to just, you know, prep for USC for two weeks. Uh, but um, it's uh, it's it's still one of those things where a lot of the, the weak points and the flaws, I guess, that we saw against Western Michigan, um, they're going to be exploited against Stanford. I mean, Stanford is going to go right at them in those areas. So we're going to see uh, how much they're able to improve and how much uh, schematically they're able to adjust. And then, you know, how that sets them up going on forward, because you play Stanford, you're going to get beat up a bit. And so we're going to kind of see the depth maybe tested a bit um, after that game, you know, going into Texas and going into Cal and just the never-ending no-bye-week season that they're going to have. All right. So good stuff, Gerard. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed this edition of our Trojan Blast recruiting podcast, covering, of course, the USC Trojans and all of it part of uscfootball.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. 
Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 